I'm going to step a little bit out of the norm for preaching at All Saints Church this morning, and I thought I would tell you that in advance. Um, the nature of my sermon is going to be rather personal. And those of us who have been taught homiletics were taught that you don't use the pronoun I very often in sermons because if you use it too much, you're really only preaching yourself. So please bear with me. Um, I think it will be worth it. In October, well, back up. Bishop, when we arrived at our clergy conference, uh, Presbyter's Conference Monday of this past week, we found out that Bishop Whitmore was going scheduled to be with us this morning. Um, and he had not gotten word that this is our parish weekend. Uh, we would not have any confirmands, and Jeffrey told him not to come, but wanted me to follow up just to be sure in case he wanted to come. And I approached uh, Bishop Whitmore, and he said, no, I'm going to take a Sunday off. I'm going to be in the church without having to be bishop. He said, but please don't preach on the gospel for this week. It's the deadliest one we have. Well, I'm going to touch on it. Um, but it, it's, um, it was one of those interesting turns. We might have had a bishop standing here today. In October of 1977, I was in the midst of what was then known as the Experiment in Ministry Program. It was a discernment process to let the church get to know aspirants for ordination and, and let aspirants reflect on whether or not we really had received a call to the ministry. You need to hear the word experiment because it was a rather interesting experience. In those days, Bishop Bennett Sims was our diocesan, and Bennett Sims would not send more seminarians or not send more people off to seminary than he thought he could easily place in the three years after their departure when they returned to the diocese. It's very, very different these days. There were 18 participants in this discernment process, in this experiment. It was only two or three years old, so it was still somewhat of an experiment as to how things were going to work. And with the knowledge that only three of us were going to go, uh, competition was rather cutthroat. Uh, I was one of the few young people because in those days we sent second career people off to seminary, not 23-year-olds. Um, and so I was one of the youngest ones and one of the easiest ones to pick on. Somewhat naive and somewhat uninformed. Um, I was a target for many people in my group. And in fact, out of that group, Bennett Sims called it the angriest group he'd ever dealt with. There was a $6 million lawsuit against the diocese for denial of ordination, which was lost in the courts. Of course, it was an ecclesiastical matter. Couple that with the fact that I was laying carpet for my living. I lay carpet, I laid carpet throughout my college summers. And since I thought I was going to go to seminary in just a few months or a year, I decided not to take a job as a geologist. And if you've ever seen carpet layers in your house, I can make a lot of jokes about us. Um, but it's hard work. It's demanding work. In fact, I have a knee that occasionally will click because of it. Um, and it had been a long week, probably 50 hours, because that was our usual work week. The boss wouldn't pay us to double time or time and a half till we'd work 50 hours. That was the nature of the work. Um, so it, I was physically exhausted. And since I was leaving late on a Friday to go up to Camp Michael, our diocesan camp, uh, I had the privilege. I was a youth 
uh, group advisor at 23 Right. I was a youth group advisor to teenagers <clears throat> at St. Luke's. I had the privilege of taking four teenagers in my car uh, for late arrival. And when I got to Camp Michael, which is about two hours away, not only was I physically exhausted, my ears were ringing because of the noise in the car and switching back and forth the radio to this and that. And, you know, well, anyway. At the end of the program for the evening, um, I asked the youth group leader, um, the Reverend Rich Pacalico at the time, if I could have some time to myself. He said, sure, as the kids were heading up to the dorm. So I walked down. There's Little Tacoa Creek in the valley below Camp Michael, and I walked down to one of my favorite places on this earth across a footbridge, across Little Tacoa Creek, um, and began relaxing a little bit. And I walked over the footbridge in a, through a small patch of woods across a dirt road and into what's known as the lower athletic field where I knelt down in the grass and began to pray. The moon was full over the ridge. I could feel the dew coming through the knees of my blue jeans, and I closed my eyes and began to pray. Much like <clears throat> Isaiah's vision, the earth fell away. I could feel myself being lifted up. In the midst of that prayer, I felt carried into God's presence. I didn't see the seraphim or the cherubim or flaming coals, but I did know that I was in God's presence. It was peaceful and quiet and loving and warm and wonderful. And an experience that I've never quite had the same again. I know I'm in God's presence often, but not like that moment. Not like that moment. I don't know how long I was there, but when I opened my eyes, the moon had set, and it was total darkness. What had been peaceful and quiet and calm became first anxious, and then fearful, and then terrified as it felt like every beast in the woods was staring at me, ready to come and to consume me. And I picked myself up and headed back toward the dormitory, across the road, and when I got to the center of the woods, the leaves were on the ground, and I began to hear footsteps behind me. I got to the footbridge, got halfway across it, and I could hear and feel vibrations of other footsteps behind me. I decided that was the best place to turn and to confront my pursuer, so I turned around and saw nothing. No one. No thing. I felt something brush past me and glanced over and saw what looked like a mist moving into the rhododendron on the creek side. So overwhelmed was I at that moment, first fear and then lack of any understanding that I sat down on the bridge and began to weep. And as clear as my words are, laying, are coming to your ears, I heard these words, because of your faith, because of your faith. I sat there for a while and wept even harder and then again picked myself up and went to the dorm. Now, I've not told that story in years and years. 
And I didn't tell that story to anyone until I was in my middle year of seminary when I had developed a trusted, trusting relationship with a spiritual director. And I told him the story. And he sat there for about a minute, and he said, Well, Chuck, what did you make of that? And I thought for a minute. And I said, I've always figured, believed that that was Jesus touching me and moving off into my future. The spiritual director said, I have another take on it. It was the evil one. We don't like to talk about the evil one in the Episcopal Church, do we? But he said it was the evil one pursuing you. You had been so close to God. You had been so wonderfully blessed by God's presence that the evil one just couldn't stand it. The evil one doesn't like us to be near God. The evil one doesn't like it when we are moving toward God, away from him or her. The evil one doesn't like it when we're in close relationship with God or with one another. The evil one wants to come and break us apart and move us away and carry us back into into the evil one's camp rather than into a relationship with God. And I think my spiritual director was right. And looking at it, I looked back. I actually have learned that shaman, um, Native American shaman, used to practice in that valley, and they they thought that they they did rituals that would drive the evil ones out of the valley. You and I are like the apostles in today's gospel. See, I'm going to get the gospel in. <laughs> you and I are first, we are apostles or we're disciples. We follow Jesus. We're trying to deepen our knowledge of God and of Jesus's teaching. Let Jesus's life impact our lives. You and I can cry out, increase our faith, O Lord. In fact, we need to cry out, increase our faith, O Lord. But you and I are also like the apostles in that we stumble and fall. You and I are like the apostles in that we're human beings. We have feet of clay. You and I are like the apostles because we sometimes walk away from the opportunity to know more about Jesus and about God's will in our lives. You and I are broken, sinful human beings. And the evil one plays tricks on us. And the world calls us into relationships that are not as healthy as the ones with God. And temptation is constantly before us. Go back and read our psalm for today. You and I are on a faith journey. And at times we move closer to God. And other times we tend to walk away just a little bit. Another Camp Michael story, this time from my childhood. Not childhood, teenage years. I went off for a diocesan youth council retreat, which was a marvelous spiritual experience for a 16-year-old. And I got turned on to Jesus, if you will. And I got filled with the Spirit, if you will. And I got to hugging people, of all things. If you know me, I do more chuck hugs than anything else. And I got back home just in time where my parents and my grandmother, my mother's mother, were finishing dinner, Sunday dinner, which was always late. Um, that's just the way it was. And I came bounding in the house, and I ran over and I hugged my mother. And then I headed toward my father, and we were not a hugging family. And 
Dad looks at me and says, what's the matter with you? And they said, sit down and tell us why you're like this. And I sat down and I started talking about the weekend and how exciting it was and how wonderful it was to live in God's love and to love one another as God first loved us and, and how I felt like I'd been empowered in some way. You might call it the Holy Spirit, but I didn't use the word empowered. I'd been changed somehow. And, um, and that I had a new relationship with God, and some people do call it born again. And we didn't use that language per se, but we talked about being reborn into Christ. And uh, my grandmother looked across the table. She was in her early 80s. And she said, I don't understand that. I don't understand any of that stuff. She said, I've been a lifelong Episcopalian. She's got her forward day by day and her UTO offering book beside her bed. She always put a quarter in the UTO box every night. And she said, I say my prayers and I go to church and I enjoy relationships with God and with others. But what's this born again or Holy Spirit stuff? And... And for some reason, she thought I had some wisdom. (laughs) And she said, what do you think about that, Chuck? I said, called her Donna. Called her Donna. I said, Donna, you're just fine. You're fine. You say your prayers, you go to church. I think you're in God's relationship with God. I don't know where you are on your spiritual faith journey. But wherever you are, it is okay. Sometimes you move closer, sometimes you move away. I've had my ups and downs as well. But in today's gospel, got it again, Bishop Whitmore. In today's gospel, Jesus tells us that even if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we have enough faith to move um, a mulberry bush, which has big roots that go deep in the ground and they're gnarled and they're interwoven, interwoven woven, we have enough faith to have that bush move from where it is to the sea. And they don't like the sea. They don't live around the sea. Jesus is telling us even the smallest amount of faith is good enough to start the journey, to be in relationship with God. You don't have to have a big faith. But the faith I'm talking about is the kind that lives somewhere in here. It's a knowledge and an acknowledgement that God made everything that is, including each and every one of us in God's image. That God loves us beyond measure, no matter how we're feeling, no matter how bad the day's been, no matter how far we have fallen, God still loves us beyond measure. It's the kind of faith that you hold near and dear and that you carry with you wherever you go so that you take the time to see God in the beauty of creation, and in the faces of others. So may our mustard seeds of faith increase. May we grow in faith as we continue to walk in God's love. And may we plead for God to increase our faith. Amen.